Hi, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Our Right Stories, a podcast created and developed by the Just Right Scotland team with your host, Natalia. This episode is our first spotlight episode. Every season, we will spotlight someone to learn more about their story, organization, and the work that they do. Today's episode is just a wee bit more special than usual as we are spotlighting our CEO, Emma Hutton. She talks about her experience in the sector, being a first-time CEO and the first CEO of Just Right Scotland, and also highlights some of our current projects. So welcome, Emma, to Our Right Stories. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. Really good. Excited, you look refreshed. Somebody just got back from holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks holiday, I've made it to Friday on my first week back. I'm still smiling, so it's good. <laughs> well worth it, I'm 100% sure. Um, Emma, you were Just Right Scotland's first CEO, and you joined about a year ago after working at the Scottish Human Rights Commission as the head of communications and engagement for eight years. How did you get your start in the sector? So I guess it depends what you mean by sector. Um, I'm taking that to mean social justice and human rights sector in the broadest sense. Is that kind yeah. of what you mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have worked in the broad social justice sector pretty much my whole kind of full-time professional life. So since I left university when I was 22. So it's been a long time working, <laughs> working in the space. Um I guess, how did I get started? Um, or why did I get started, maybe, is more the question. Ooh, yes, that's kind of why. <laughs> so I think it's interesting to reflect on this. Um, I mean, from a, a really young age, I think I always knew that I wanted to make a difference. I always had quite a, a strong sense of injustice and a drive to challenge that. That was just something I always remember being part of, I guess, who I am as a person. Um, and I had some personal experiences when I was growing up that I think fueled that. So I kind of came from quite a poor family. Um, I had a parent who had severe mental health problems. Um, I grew up in a community that was really sort of badly affected by the decline of industry and all of the kind of social and economic policy that went with that. So I think all of that fueled for me a sense of the world can be quite a a tough place and quite an unfair place and the state has a really important role to play in um, in doing something about that. Um, but I don't, I suppose when I was growing up I didn't necessarily know that I could make a career out of doing something about that. Um, when I was a student and I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, um, I didn't really know. I knew I had to get a job <laughs> to get some money, that was essential. And it's interesting to kind of think back um, to being kind of about 20, I suppose. Um, I was being, I suppose I was being kind of lined up for a career in the corporate sector, management training um, with the company that I worked for part time. Uh, And then I did my dissertation as an undergraduate on um, the voluntary sector in Edinburgh. And I ended up interviewing six different mental health charities that were doing various things in Edinburgh and it was really the first time that I realised that there was a whole kind of sector out there of people doing amazing work and that I mean I think I probably interviewed like the chief execs and directors or something like that and I was kind of like oh there's a job here (laughs) that people are doing that is really inspiring Uh, and is looks tough but um you know looks like it's making a real difference and the organisations were doing work that was really um yeah very sort of inspiring for me so I suppose that was kind of my first sense that maybe I could have a career working for social justice 
Um, that's been easier said than done because there isn't a kind of natural, obvious, clear, defined career pathway in this in this kind of work. But I basically set about applying for anything and everything that I thought I might be able to do and kind of used my work experience, my experience of working in retail and voluntary experience and basically managed to get a break working for what's now um, one of the lottery funders. So I joined them straight from university as an information officer. And uh, yeah, that was over 20 years ago and I won't, we haven't got all day, so I won't go through <laughs> all of the different um, organisations and things I've done since then. But that was how I got started and here I am. That's amazing. And I think it's really cool because I, I keep hearing this common theme of, yeah, there's not like a clear path in the third sector and the charity sector once you get into this kind of work like it's just go (laughs) what do you what can you find yourself into what opportunity is going to pop up that you take and I think that's really cool because I think a lot of people also have questions about how to get into this line of work and they may not necessarily see the value in the skills that they have or the skills that they have but no that's yeah, yeah, like your story, I think is really cool. Yeah, <laughs> if we had more time, I would like to know all of it. <laughs> and it's, I, it's funny because I definitely had times along the way where I was like, I don't, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what the future looks like. Um, and now, if you look at my CV, it sort of looks like I had a plan and I did one <laughs> thing and it led to the other. But I never had a plan. <laughs> I just took. <laughs> I took the opportunities that felt right at the time and I, I when I knew I was in the, the wrong place for me, I moved on. Um, so yeah, if there's anybody out there that's kind of young and thinking about wanting to do something similar, I think just my my advice is follow your follow your values and follow your um yeah, take the opportunities that come in front of you and don't worry too much about the longer term because it will all work out, hopefully. Mm. I love that already. <laughs> yes. Uh, so as you mentioned in your blog, um, you're the Just Right Scotland Year blog. So after a year, you get to do a blog about reflection about your time here. Um, you did mention that this was your first time being a CEO. And how has this new experience been for you? So, yeah, it's uh, bizarre that it's been a year. I don't know. In some ways it feels like two minutes. In some ways it feels like a lot longer. Um And it is my first time as a CEO, but I suppose um, I've been in leadership and management roles for a lot longer than that. I had my first leadership role when I was 25, when I founded an organisation myself, and then I've gone on to to do lots of other management and leadership roles. So I suppose I felt I was coming into the role with all of that experience under my belt, and I've definitely had to (laughs) draw on all of that. And um, you know, it's it's all turned out to be really useful in, in terms of coming in as CEO. And so there's not a lot, I suppose, in my, a lot of what I do day to day is work that I've done before. It's not completely unfamiliar, whether it's managing finances or doing media work or writing strategy or whatever it might be. Um, so the kind of technical side of things isn't isn't kind of unfamiliar. Um, but I think I talk about this a little bit in the blog. I suppose what's, <laughs> what's been different um, there's probably two aspects to that. So first of all, um, curveballs <laughs> and curveballs coming from all directions uh, regularly. Um, now I'm quite used again to dealing with problems and all that kind of stuff, but there's there's something about being the CEO that means that things things generally only come to me when somebody else can't figure out what to do or <laughs> when there are, it's a really kind of 
crunchy, high stakes issue. Um, and so that's that's been different and more intense, I think, than being a senior manager. Um, it's the buck stops with me, and that means that things come to me that that need. Um, that needs kind of careful consideration and so every day I'm like I wonder what's going to happen today <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> so I've got used to that but it was a bit uh, it was a little bit startling at first and then secondly and it's partly related to that um it's actually a really lonely job sometimes um and I have a brilliant team I have a brilliant senior team I have a brilliant board the staff are great you're all lovely you're all always check in with me and ask me how I am which I really appreciate <laughs> um but the reality is that there are things that are in my inbox there are things that are on my plate that I really can't talk about with other people um because it wouldn't be appropriate um and there are some problems that are mine and not just mine but kind of they sit on my shoulders um more than anyone else so I've found it lonely actually and that's been I suppose I wasn't really expecting that it's been it's been interesting to observe that and it's why I've kind of made sure that I um you know, I'm, I'm part of peer networks, so I've um, had some really good support through Acosfo, which has been helpful. Um, and I've also really benefited from having um, a really great executive coach who's doing some pro bono coaching with me. So Kerry, shout out to you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I, I sometimes uh, jokingly describe that as CEO therapy, but it definitely feels like that. And I definitely need that space. So although it can be lonely, I take really huge comfort from working with such an amazing team. Yeah, those are the things that have been different for me. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know there was a such thing as a CEO <laughs> therapist, but no, that's, that sounds like it's definitely needed. And funnily enough, that's kind of a question I was going to ask is how you deal with that lonely, loneliness. Um, but the organization counts over 20 staff members and interns and are joining this summer to learn more about the legal processes and our legal services. How is being the CEO of this team and what have you learned so far about your staff members? <laughs> so... Of course, I'm going to say this, but being CEO of this team is genuinely a dream. It's a privilege and a joy. Not 100% of the time, but most of the time, <laughs> it's, a, it's a real joy. Um, and I count myself very lucky, actually, to have such an incredible team. I don't think all CEOs are so lucky. So um, I, I know that I'm very lucky to have that team. Um, I love coming to work to work with all of you every day. Um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. What have I learned about the team? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that you love donuts and coffee. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> um, I suppose what I've I suppose what I've learned about the team. Um, so first of all, just the depth of talent and skill. I mean, it's it is incredible to me when I look at how much everybody in the team brings to the party brings to the the collective effort and that's you know and every I think all the time I learn more about things that people have done and experiences they have that might not be immediately obvious from their their CV or from what I already know about them so that's that's been great to learn about all of that and to see that playing out and how people go about their jobs. I think the second thing that I've really noticed and um, been quite mindful of is that this is a team of people who are brilliant at what they do and are really not brilliant at switching off <laughs> and <laughs> saying no and not giving everything and more to the point that they possibly risk 
you know, doing themselves some damage and, and burning out. So I've really seen that as a common thread across the whole team. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I guess I've tried to uh, encourage behaviours that are in a different place and are, are about putting some boundaries around what we all do because from my own experience, over 20 plus years now, I know that in order to kind of sustain this kind of work, you do actually have to look after yourself and you have to take breaks and you have to say no and you have to put boundaries in place because otherwise, you know, you will you will burn out. So that's been a, a real thing that I've observed. And then I suppose the other, the final thing I would say is that this isn't so much about the team, but it's just reinforced something that I already knew and felt, but I've really seen it play out with this team, which is that um, as a leader, I think it's really important that you understand that your role is not to impose solutions on people to go out and deliver, but your role as a leader should be about giving your team the space, the resource, the opportunity, the power, the freedom to do what they need to do to solve the problems that we're all trying to, to solve. Um, and I really see that with this team that um, all I ever need to do is say, hmm, here's a thing <laughs> it would be good to look at and uh, suddenly a solution is developed without me having any input into it at all. So. Um, and that's great. I, I love that about the team. Um, you know, you said, as you said at the start, I've just come back from two weeks annual leave. And for me, it's it's so important that I can, I can do that and know that, frankly, I'm not needed to <laughs> come back. Uh, you know, when I was away on, on annual leave, I was, as I do, sort of following our social media outputs and all the rest of it and just continuing to see how much amazing work was going on that, yeah you can all just get on with that without me being interfering in the background so yeah I always think that's funny also this team sounds amazing (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna lie um so you've been working within the third and private sector for over 18 years collaborating with different organizations companies and partners across Scotland in this scenario how would you describe the unique work that Just Right Scotland does every day and its role in our society? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big question or anything. <laughs> For me, um, Just Right Scotland is, I, I'm, I mean, genuinely, I feel so lucky to be here. Um, and I think the role that Just Right Scotland plays is unique. It's really special uh, and it's really needed. And I, I, I work, I knew about Just Right Scotland in my previous role. I saw the organisation, um, emerge onto the scene about five, six years ago and I was like, oh, that's exciting. You know, that's interesting. Not ever thinking I would end up, you know, being here as CEO. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I guess I can give you my shorthand version of our organisational theory of change, um, <laughs> which is lawyers plus communities plus partnership equals casework and campaigns and collaboration, which equals changing individual people's lives and changing wider laws and the wider system. That's what we do uh, at Just Right Scotland uh, with all of our partners um, and across the team in all sorts of different ways. And that is so needed. It's been really needed for a really long time. Um, and it's it's unusual, it's an unusual model. So that idea of bringing together 
legal work with wider campaigning and policy and influencing work, um, connecting up individual experiences with wider advocacy and lobbying, uh, using the experiences of individuals to change the system is so crucial and it's not something that a lot of organisations do. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really, I'm delighted that we exist. I'm delighted that our founders decided to set us up and I'm delighted to be here now leading us into the next phase. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important thing that you mentioned um, that, you know, just right scholars things about also people and communities. Can you give us some examples of the people and communities that Just Right Scotland's teams help and support? Sure. Um, so it's, I guess all of the people and communities that we support um, have, have one thing in common, which is that they are people and communities whose rights are at risk or are being violated uh, and who face, um, who, who face higher than average barriers I suppose to accessing their rights and accessing justice and that's we deliberately do that we deliberately work with um, people who struggle and who can't access support to get access to their rights and justice from anywhere else that's why we exist we exist to fill that gap Um, that takes lots of different forms Uh, at the moment we work with a a really wide range of different people and communities um, ranging from uh, people with people who've um, experienced trafficking, for example, trafficking and exploitation and who have uh, survived that. Um, we work with women who are um, survivors of gender-based violence, sexual harassment and, and other forms of uh, gender-based violence. Um, we, we do a lot of work with um, refugees, people seeking asylum, people with experience of migration um, and their families. Um, and we also do uh, work with We've got a kind of strategic program of work um, around uh, working with people who face particular issues around discrimination. Um, so at the moment, we're, we do work with disabled people and organisations, um, and we're looking to do more work with people who experience race discrimination in Scotland. So yeah, a really wide range. Um, as I say, that common thread of um, people who who can't access their rights and justice from other sources, and that's where we we come in. Mm-hmm. That's really important. And you also mentioned that Just Right Scotland aims to defend extend people's rights by working with organizations who share our vision of a fair and more equal Scotland. What are some of the main issues the team is currently focusing on and why? Well, um, so, I mean, given the range of people and communities that we work with, there are a huge range of issues and we haven't probably got time to get into all of them today. Um, but I guess like really live issues right now for us, um, and I know that you've talked about this on the podcast before, but the um, the kind of current illegal migration bill that's going through Parliament is a huge priority for us. I mean, the spill is an assault on the very principle of asylum, seeking refuge. If it comes to pass, it will have a catastrophic impact on people's rights, including the rights of many of our clients. Um, so we're working hard to do everything that we can with other partners to stop that bill uh, coming into law. But if the worst does come to pass, we'll then be, um, we're already preparing to challenge it in the courts uh, and we're continuing to um, lobby and seek uh, commitments from the Scottish government, for example, to, to take action to mitigate the harms on people's lives in Scotland. So that's a huge focus for us right now. Um, that's a very immediate uh, sort of urgent uh, piece of work. 
I guess um, to give another example, and this is a, a kind of longer term thing, and this is the challenge for us always, how do we do the work that needs done immediately while continuing to try and focus on pushing for longer term change but so to sort of think about a longer term example we're also um we'll be doing quite a lot of work over the summer on um what if it what would be a new human rights bill for scotland um so the scottish government is consulting on proposals for that at the moment um this is something that we've been wanting to see for a, a long time we really want to see more uh, human rights put into law um, more international human rights put into law and for the law that protects those rights to have teeth and to really be impactful. So we've got proposals now from, from the Scottish Government on what that might look like. Um, we've got, we'll have more to say on that soon. I won't say too much about it. I think it's fair to say that, that right now we're um, a little bit concerned that those proposals don't go far enough um, and that we, they need to be stronger than they are. Um, so that's a, another kind of live priority for, for us just now. Mm -hmm. Those are two very complex issues and I think also very important and I think it's important to note that you say that one is very urgent and is kind of happening now and as it goes in and one I guess is, is more longer term and I also really do like the point that you make that we're trying to put more human rights into law because I guess like you said it does give it more teeth and more accountability which is essentially what we need yeah um so what are some next steps for you as jrs's ceo what would you like to see happen in scotland with which just right scotland can highly contribute to so um i am turning my attention now to the organization's next strategy so um <clears throat> we're currently just coming to the end of our kind of second strategic plan as an organization the first one was about getting us started as an organization the second one was about growth and development and expansion um and so we now need a, a new strategic plan to see us through i think what will be the next kind of five years and that's my my thinking um so it's a good question it's live on my mind at the moment uh, and obviously i won't just be sitting in a room on my own writing that strategy that will be a really it's already um drawing on a lot of input from across the team from our partners and so on um so yeah i mean i think there's quite a lot for us to think about what we've we've established i think a really a really important and effective model of lawyers working with community partners to achieve the change that we've already talked about um i think there's some big questions for us as an organization about whether we can hold steady as we are working in the areas that we currently work in and with the partners and on the issues and on the rights issues that we currently work on or do we try and move into new areas do we try and fill uh, other gaps that we know exist how do we do that do we how do we do that in active partnership with others this is all a bit kind of high level but I, I guess it reflects that we're at this point where we're really kind of taking stock of the the gaps in human rights in Scotland and where we're best placed to fill them and where we're not. Um, we're not an organisation that ever seeks to do anything just for the sake of it. We have some kind of guiding principles, which are um, we will only act where no one else can or will. And, and you know we don't want to kind of compete or duplicate effort. And we'll also only ever do anything where we can do it in collaboration. So um, yeah, I think the next, for me personally, the next, really the rest of this year is going to involve quite a lot of deep thinking about the, the strategy for the organisation to take us through the next 
five years and beyond. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) But like a lot of soul-fulfilling work as well. Yeah. Um, So what are your hopes and dreams for the future of this inspirational organization? (laughs) Um, Well, I I mean, obviously that we continue to... um, to do the work, uh, do it well and be able to kind of evidence that we're doing it well. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? As long as we can know and understand and demonstrate that the that we're making the difference that we want to make to people's lives, then that's my main hope and dream. Um, I mean, I suppose you know, we would all hope that we didn't need to exist. We would all fundamentally wish that we lived in a society where we weren't needed. I don't want to be, I don't want to put a sort of pessimistic note into the space, but I think realistically that's not going to happen in my lifetime. Um, and actually, even if we did live in a, a more kind of progressive, utopian, uh, rights-based society, actually we're probably always going to need people to hold power to account in one form or another. So I suppose if I think, um, just to take it down a little bit more practically, um, I guess by the time I leave this organisation, whenever that might be, and it won't be anytime soon, I hope, but whenever <laughs> I do leave, I would hope to leave behind me an organisation that is um, that is sustainable, that is uh, stable, uh, that is able to evidence the impact that it makes. I think we can, but we've got more to do on that. Um, but, you know, it's a big part of my job is about funding for example and bringing the money in to keep us going and we have been really blessed to have the support of a a really good range of different funders and um and we value those relationships hugely um but that's not an easy job to to kind of sustain the organization and it would be really nice (laughs) if we had a different way of uh, supporting the kind of important work that the organization does longer term so i guess i would have a a bit of a dream that uh, the constant kind of uh, battle to make sure that we can keep the lights on and and keep people you know well and paid and all the rest of it was a little bit easier um that's not entirely within our control but we can try we can do our best there and i guess my other my other hope for the future for the organization is that the next generation of leadership is uh nurtured and supported and able to take over so that mm-hmm. i can leave and know that <laughs> the future is in safe hands mm-hmm. i think that's so important and i think just as being a leader and saying that i think it's powerful in itself to be fair um so before we wrap up as a leader what message of hope can you share with the next generation of social justice warriors? Yeah, the inspiring leader bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you want. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a really it's a really good and important question. And um, I'm really aware that right now, uh, particularly with the work that we do and the spaces that we're working in, that it can feel really hard. It is really hard. It's objectively really difficult to feel hopeful and um, doing the work that we do i I'm, I'm very aware of that um and i guess what i i guess what i would say and this is something maybe that happens as you get a bit older right you start to think of you start to think of time in slightly longer spans than, than you did when you were younger or certainly that's been my experience and i if i take a step back a little bit from the day to day I kind of look back over my own lifetime and beyond 
way into the dim and distant past of history. And I think we have to understand that progress towards social justice is not linear. It doesn't, it ebbs and flows. It's like a tide. It comes in and it retreats sometimes. Um, it would be great if it was linear. It'd be great if it could just happen. But it, I don't think that's been the experience in human history to date. It's certainly not been the experience in my own lifetime. So what that means is that when we're in a, a, a retreat phase, it feels really hard because you feel like the, the shore is getting further away and you're swimming hard and you're swimming hard and you're not getting anywhere. But my message of hope is that that tide will turn. It does turn. It always has in history so far. It's happened in my lifetime. I grew up in, a, in the 80s and 90s. Things were not great then and they got better. And now they've got worse, but they will get better again. And for this next generation of, you know, for this next generation of people who actually, in some cases, have grown up not really ever knowing a progressive phase and have only really known regression, I know that must be so hard. But um, people, the generations of social justice warriors before you held fast. They kept doing the work, the hard work. They and the only reason progress was ever achieved was because they did that. And the same will be true for this generation in the future. I love that. <laughs> I'm not going to add any more to that. That was absolutely great. Um, thank you again, Emma, for being on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again, Emma, for sharing some words of hope and inspiration as we continue our fight for creating a more just and fair Scotland. And we hope the world. Don't forget to read more about Emma's experience as a CEO on her one-year blog on our website, alongside our current campaigns mentioned throughout this podcast. Double check our show notes for more details. Like always, listeners, don't forget to like, comment, and share this podcast. This podcast is available on most podcasting platforms, so hit subscribe now to get alerts on when the newest episodes will drop. And we'll catch you next time.